But I want you to look, if you would please, at Psalm 127. And this is something recently I thought about, especially, especially with the fear that goes on in our hearts and minds uh, throughout, uh, throughout this season. I love this verse. It's helped me a lot, and I want to read it with you today and give you just a few thoughts uh, on Psalm 127. Let me just kind of give you a little bit of background. Of course, Psalm 117 is the smallest chapter of our Bible. Psalm 117, I think Brother Palmer referenced that the other day. And then Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of our Bible, 176 verses in that. It's the middle psalm there, or in the book of Psalms, the middle book of the Bible. Then Psalm 120 to Psalms 134 are the Psalms of Ascent. These are psalms that prepared people's heart to worship. A, a, a man or a woman heading to Jerusalem to worship with their family would oftentimes sing these psalms as they made their way to worship the Lord. That's where uh, we have um, psalms, uh, like, and sometimes on the steps of the temple, they would stop and sing one psalm there, step up another one if they're a local person. But they're heading that would do, they would go that way if they were heading that way. This is where the psalms that we hear, like 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven. Or they would say, sing a song of anticipation. I'm looking my eyes to the hills. What hills are he talking about? The hills of Jerusalem. He's looking at the temple mounts up there. And they're, they're, they're saying, I'm looking to the, to the hills and the Lord who is going to give me help. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. And so forth and so on. Then Psalm 122, you might remember it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. So they're excited about, they're anticipating. By the way, never say, oh, we have to go to church. No, get to go to church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That would be something we anticipate. And they would anticipate that for sure. And then throughout the Psalms, right in the middle, Psalm 127, 28, are family Psalms that would be sung together as a family and anticipation of worshiping the Lord together. By the way, I'm always glad when I see families that love the Lord together and that serve in the Lord together and wives that take the journey with their husbands and, and kids who follow along and then they continue. Not after high school do they quit. They don't quit. They just keep on and keep on reproducing and passing the torch of faithfulness on. That's what God wants us to do. But in that, Psalm 127, just five verses, most of you would know it by memory, but it is a great thought. Number one, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And that speaks of God's construction and his wisdom. He said, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain to build. If you ever see a nice edifice or a house or a building, what it speaks of is this builder. If you see a house and you see it's nice, you'll say, well, I wonder who built that. Because it takes the wisdom of someone to put something together. And God puts us and our lives, we're under construction. You might have heard that song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How wonderful and patient he must be. He's still working on me. You know what? I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. And God has used multiple subcontractors to do his work in our lives. Sunday school teachers, school teachers, teachers in college, People that you come along, people, friends that, that mentored you and loved you and helped you, someone who discipled you, someone hopefully you're discipling, you're a subcontractor for the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, when you go to church, when you go to Sunday school class, pastors, some of you have been helped by message. You don't even know who the person was that's preaching, but you think about their message and their concepts. And I want you to know, first of all, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, whoever's working labors in vain. By the way, you ought to be thankful, and I should be thankful for those people who have helped us through the years, who God has used to strengthen us, uh, to get us to this point. Now, we're all a work in progress. How many have a finished house as an individual? None of us. All of us are still, God is still working on us, and we're still adding to our, we're not the Winchester Castle, <laughs> keeping new houses, but we're trying. Some of us, we need some, we need some, some quarter round going around inside. We need some interior work and exterior work. We need some things to continue to go on, and maybe you've worked on your temper, but you know it's not where it ought to be. Maybe you quit doing this thing or you quit doing that, but you're, you're not where you need to be that God wants you to be. And we're all working on that situation. Well, God's working. He's building you and me. And the first aspect of this psalm speaks of God's construction process. By the way, be easy to work on. One of the things, I, I'm not much a mechanical thing, but they tell me, people who are mechanics say these new cars are really hard to work on. The old cars, you seem like you had so much room in there and you want to pull off an alternator. I can, I'm, I'm mechanically disabled, but I could do that. But now I can't even find the alternator. It's under a lot of plastic and you have to take off this and the radiator to get to that. But the truth of the matter is some of these cars, are, they're, they're made that only the people in the shop could work on. The people who make them can the only one who can fix them. You know, the truth of the matter is I want to be easy for God to work on. He is, I'm under construction, you're under construction. Let's be, let's, let's take his wisdom and let him work on us. First part I see is God's construction, and that speaks of the wisdom of God. The second thing the Bible says, except the Lord build, keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. This speaks of the protection of God. You know, every Christian ought to be saying, Lord, thank you for your constructive work in my life. You know, when someone points out a problem in you, you can get mad at that person. That's a scorner. Don't do that. But the truth of the matter is you ought to be thankful. God, keep working on me. Keep adjusting me. There's some things I'm not seeing right, not thinking right. There's things I need to work on. You do. You take your wisdom, and I'll apply your wisdom to my life to fix them. But number two is to claim God's protection. Many Christians are afraid. I understand why the world will be afraid. I don't understand why we should stay afraid. I can understand why we might be, fear might come, but it shouldn't stay. And uh, I can understand why it could be a momentarily discouraged, but we should not stay discouraged. Why? We have a God who can protect us. And he protects us. His protection shows us the power of God. God's power. You know, the Bible tells in Psalm 121 that God never slumbers or sleeps. And he's going to say in the next verse here, it's vain for you to rise up early, to get up late, to chew on the bread of sorrows. That means just to worry. Worrying is taking on responsibility God never intended for you and I to have. Worrying wastes time. It's like in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you go nowhere. It just continually takes up energy. He said, that's vanity. That's ridiculous. You know what that is? That's not trusting the protection of God. His power. Well, we ought to trust His protection and know that He's strong enough. He's got your back. He's going to help you. If you're a child of God, the worst thing to happen to you is temporary. If you're going to die, that's temporary compared to what you've got going for you. 
And we have to learn to say, Lord, I don't, if we have fear, that didn't come from the Lord. That's something that robs us of power and love and a sound mind. And all of us struggle with fear. We struggle, am I going to have enough money to make it in my life? Do I have enough to be on retirement? How am I going to pay my bills? What happens if I get laid off? Oh, we get all these things get going on in our minds. And what's, am I going to be able to do this? Or this is going to happen? And, and what if I'm single the rest of my life? Or what if, I, what if my, my spouse leaves me? Or what am I going to do with the kids? Or all these kind of things. Let me tell you something. We need to trust God's power. And, uh, you know, at nighttime, the Bible says God never slumbers or sleeps. There's no sense to both of us stay awake all night. Just let God stay awake and you go to sleep. <laughs> well, I got to worry about that. Do you really? No sense in both of you and God. He loves you. You love him. No sense in both of us staying awake all night arguing and worrying about things. Verse number two. Would you look at it with me and read it again with me? Here we go. It is vain for you to rise up early. I think the key word of this particular verse is the word beloved. What does beloved mean? It means they're loved. You know, there's John, the beloved, we studied about him on Wednesday night. He said, I was a disciple whom Jesus loved. He said, I felt so loved by the Lord. By the way, you get close to the Lord. You draw an eye of the Lord, he'll draw an eye to you. See, one of the keys to understanding what you'll do for God is knowing how much he loves us. But you know what, what really, I think this is, the, we talked about the, the construction of God, his wisdom. We see the protection of God, his power. But here, the relaxation of God, his love. You know what relaxes us when we know that we're loved? You know, the Bible tells husbands, love your wife. A wife who is not convinced her husband loves her will struggle with insecurities more so. Uh, a person who does not convince God loves them will struggle with insecurity. They'll be much more fearful. But one of the keys to being able to relax in your heart, you know the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy, 1 Peter chapter 3, that a meek and a quiet spirit is in the sight of God of great price. Chapter 3, verse number 7. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 6 is for the ladies. Chapter 3, verse 7 is for the men. But the first word of chapter 7 says, likewise. Do you know it's not just the ladies who need to have a quiet spirit? It's the men who ought to have a quiet spirit, too. It's not just the ladies who are supposed to be meek. It's the men who are supposed to be meek. And meekness is a willingness to adjust to another's pace or agenda. But having a quiet spirit, you know what calms a spirit? When you know that you are loved. He said, God giveth his beloved sleep. When someone knows their love, they can rest. But you know, the devil wants to try to make you think that God doesn't love you. If he loves you, but he doesn't love you like he loves everybody else. If he loved me, he would have given me this or wouldn't have taken away that. I was standing in front of someone the other day and they, and they said, you know what, pastor, I gave up on God. I said, why? Because my husband of 54 years, he took him away. He died. I said, you got to live with him 54 years, and you're mad at God? I remember my first wedding was conducted on uh, July the 1st, 2000. And my, my first funeral was, collect, connect, uh, was conducted on uh, July the 14th. It was the same man I married on July 1st. 
Ten days later, he got back from his honeymoon. He was cooking, uh, going, up to his, going up to his steps of his apartment, and he had a massive aneurysm and passed away right there in his home. He got to be married ten days, and then I did his funeral. As a pastor, a young pastor, 32 years old, trying to figure out, actually turned 33 in the middle of our wedding to his, to his, his funeral. I thought to myself, this lady is angry with God because God took away her husband after 54 years. And she said, I don't want to. I, you know what that lady doesn't understand? She doesn't understand the love of God. And she thinks she has a reason to be upset with the Lord. Boy, and sometimes we'll think, well, if God loved me, then he wouldn't do this. Let me tell you what will make you, give you a soft pillow at night. When you are convinced that God loves you. I think it's amazing. Satan opened his first, first time he opened his mouth in the Bible with Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said. Do you believe what God said? No, if I eat this, I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die. God just wants to uh, make sure that he keeps you under his thumb, Eve. If you eat that fruit, then you won't have to be like this, Eve. You'll be like this with God. You'll be just as he is, knowing good and evil. God doesn't love you. He just wants to make sure that you pay, that you are always subject to him. Is that true about God? No. He loves us. I think about this when Jesus um, was baptized. You remember what, he, what happened when he got baptized? He came to see John the Baptist. John said, I'm not going to baptize you. You can baptize me. And Jesus said, no, it's to fulfill all righteousness. If you're saved, you ought to get baptized. He said, why? Because it's the right thing to do. Then after he got baptized, when John put him under the water, brought him up out of the water, two things happened. The Shekinah glory of God opened up and God's presence landed on him like a bird that fly off a branch and land on his head. It was that obvious. Something just happened to Jesus from heaven. God just put his glory on Jesus. The second thing that happened to Jesus is that God's, the Father's voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved what? This is what kind of son? Beloved son. This is my beloved. I love my son. And I'm well pleased with him. Do you know the next time that uh, then Jesus goes and fasts? 40 days, 40 nights. Guess who joined him on his fast? By the way, you have a fast. You'll have him join you too. <laughs> the devil came. And do you know what the first words out of the Satan's mouth was? If thou be the what? Son of God. He challenges what God says. Boy, when you have a hard time, when the devil tells you he doesn't love you, you ought to find about 10 verses in the Bible that tells me that God loves me. Like Jeremiah 31, verse 3, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, some of you know the verse, but I've, I've listened to this verse, I've memorized this verse, but I never thought about this. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I, yet not I, but liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who what? Loved me and gave himself for me. You know, all through the Bible, God shows us nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing above me, nothing below me, nothing around me, nothing before me, nothing after me. Nothing happened in the future, nothing happened in the past, nothing happened in the present. Nor any other thing can separate me from the love of God which I have in Christ Jesus, my Lord. What will relax you? Do you know when, when you're stressed out, you don't make the best decisions? You know you make the best decision when you're relaxed? 
when a guy's getting ready to hit a fastball and it's the ninth inning, there's two outs and he's up there, he probably, many guys have struck out because they're stressed. But if he could just say, you know what, this is nothing like the first inning. He's more apt to make the best play in that time when you're relaxed. I was watching not too long ago a rodeo, and I could just tell the horse is all excited. The, 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 the person who's on the horse is scared to death, nervous because this is, this is for the big money or whatever they're trying to win. The horse feels it. He's all stressed out. And then all kinds of things happen, and it doesn't go good. And I just think, listen to them breathe afterward. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I was so stressed. I was so scared. But you know, something about being relaxed. You know what makes you relax? When you know you're loved by God. So three things. Number one, the construction of God shows us his wisdom. The protection of God is shown by his power. The relaxation that God gives his children is shown by his love. Let's look at verse number three, would you please? Ready? Lo, children are inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. I want to talk to you a little bit about the reproduction of God is his heritage, is the heritage of the Lord. He's talking about children now. Now, Brother Mike Ray, do you guys know Brother Mike Ray? Brother Mike Ray discriminates with me against this verse right here. He says, lo, children, little children are the heritage of the Lord. The tall ones, he doesn't really care about them. That hurts my feelings when he says that. He says, only the low children really belong to the Lord. You know, and you know him, he's about five foot two, you know. And, uh, but he said, lo, children of the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Let me just say to you, children are a blessing and not a burden. And our church needs to love children. Whether you have children or not, you should love the children of the church. Whether the, the Lord has blessed your home or your future with that, everybody ought to love the kids of our church. And children, the reproduction, by the way, uh, you're talking to a man, the Lord has given us nine children. We weren't always, we didn't say, oh, I remember talking with Linda, saying, oh, we're going to have a large family. I never thought about that. But the Lord let us have one child and then let us go almost four years, five years without a child and have five miscarriages. And that changed our paradigm a little bit. And then I started thinking, you know, if I can trust God with my eternal destiny, then I can trust him on the timing of children and how many and what he wants. I need to stop trying to control that. I think we ought to, you know, we ought to, we ought to consider that. And of course, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not telling you what you have to do, but I do think sometimes we have a lot of faith for God to plan our eternal destiny, but we don't trust him with the daily decisions. And the Bible says children are inheritors of the Lord. They're his heritage. And we, and we ought to make sure that we understand that we see the reproduction is the heritage of the Lord. Look at the next verse, if you would, please, verse number four. Read it out loud with me, would you please? As arrows are, I think the reproduction talks about his heritage, but here we see the instruction, the instruction. The instruction process is the plan of God. God wants us to train our children. Now, arrows in the Old Testament in te at times were for two reasons. Archery was for provision and for protection. And God gave us children, and he said, like arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children that God gives him in his youth. And, you know, arrows have to be shapen, and they have to, to be straight for them to fly straight. You can't shoot a crooked arrow straight. And one of the things that parents are supposed to do is to spend time in prayer and preparation helping to shoot, to train 
And an archer would make sure he took care of his own arrows. And he would, he would certainly make them straight so that he would shoot them, they, it would go straight. You know what the Bible calls our children? He refers to them as arrows. You know what arrows are made to do? They're made to make an impact where the archer cannot go. Those children that you have, you're, you're to, to keep them and instruct them and prepare them for the plan of God for their life. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should, and the, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We think about people preparing their children uh, and helping them fly straight, keeping them right so that whenever they let go, and, and, our, and, and arrows make an impact where the archer can't go. Well, I don't know about you. I'm not much of a deer hunter. I've shot one deer in my life. But I would not be a very good deer hunter. No one would if they had to chase them around on foot. <laughs> you would not be a good deer hunter if you had to chase them around and get a hold of them. You know how you can kill deer? Is that you take a, you take a bow, an arrow, and you shoot. And that arrow can make an impact where you could never get that. And I think about this. and My mom and dad were not perfect parents, but they were wonderful parents. My dad always shared, and I was talking today with Brother Jody about this, that my dad always told me, I love you, John. I love you, John. I'm so glad he told me that. I'm glad he told my brothers that. And by the way, every child needs three things, desperately. They need, they need attention. They need affirmation. And they, and they need affection. They need the attention of a dad and a mom. And uh, oftentimes we kind of find reasons why that can't happen. But I'm going to tell you something. We need to give attention to our children. We need to give affirmation. What you say to them is very important. The affirmation a child needs. And then the affection, the loving affirmation and the affection that we give uh, from, uh, from our words, from our, from our kindness, from our touch, from our gentleness, all those things are extremely important to a child. But uh, my parents, uh, they had six children and all of us, we have the joy of serving God in some way. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that my mom and dad, they made much of raising their children. They didn't care. My mother would say to me, John, I'm raising you not so I'll love you, but I'd like the whole world to love you. I don't really, I'm going to love you if you're an idiot. But I want the, I want the rest of the world to love you. I want, my, I want everybody to love and, 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 and be helped by our children. So I want to be strict on you. My dad was that way. And he kept on working on us. He made sure we went to, a, he, he worked hard to make sure we went to a Christian school. We had a home education for about three months and about drove our mother crazy. And so he, they, they found a way to put us in a Christian school and kept us, especially boys, when a mom has to do their boys, it's more challenging. And, and so we, we did that. But boy, he would watch who our friends were he had continued. He'd make sure if there was a preacher preaching someplace, he would take us over there. And sometimes we didn't want to go on a Tuesday night to revival service, but it didn't matter. He said, we're going to go. So we went. He continued to help us do what we're supposed to do and go where we're supposed to go and do what we're supposed to do. Kept on shaping an arrow. But you know, my dad has never preached on foreign soil, but his arrows have. My dad... Is not his, he did not get to pastor a church long term. He did for a little bit, but his boys have, his arrows have. My sister's been a missionary in the African continent in several different places. My dad never even went to Africa, but one of his arrows did. 
My, my dad didn't win different people to Christ the same way as his arrows have. I don't, to my knowledge, my dad never had the opportunity to lead people from a different uh, religion to the Lord, but, but his arrows have. Things that, that you know why? Because he, he just kept, he kept on shaping arrows. And we've got a lot of work to do, and I don't say it to brag on the Wilkerson's, myself included, but I will say this, I'm glad that we were prepared and instructed. And I think you ought to make much of that. Young moms and dads, uh, give time and attention. But I'll take time to read the scriptures together. We ought to talk about Turn our radio off and turn off our, our CD player and talk about spiritual things. Mama, you do that. Some of the most influential times in my life were given to me by my mother. And other times, my dad was extremely influential in my life. But I do think everybody needs to be involved in the instruction and the plan of God. And then I want you to look at the last verse, and we'll conclude. Help me real quickly, though. The first thing was the construction, and that is showed by what? The wisdom of God. Protection is shown by the power of God. Relaxation is shown by the love of God. Procreation is shown by the heritage of God. There's the heritage of God. Instruction is shown by the plan of God. And I want you to look at the last one, anticipation. Anticipation. Would you look at verse number 5? Happy is the man, is that man that hath his quiver full of children, of those arrows we spoke about. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And we see the goal of God is that every godly mom and dad, and even a church family, and even a person, if you don't have children, you ought to be saying, Lord, give me spiritual... You know the guy who used children the most in the Bible didn't have children? John the Beloved. If you see his writings, you'll say, my little children, my little children. He said, These, I write this unto you, my little children, that you sin not. But if any man sin... You know, he, he was celibate. He never had kids. He was single his whole life. But you know who he's talking about? He's talking about people he led to the Lord. He's talking about people he discipled, people he spent time with. And friends, may I say to you, if you and I will trust in God's construction, will accept God's power to protect us, will relax because of his love, will develop children, even if they're not biologically, spiritually, will train and disciple and work with them, we're going to find anticipation. He says, you know what? You're not going to be embarrassed for putting time and effort into discipling, loving, helping your children and other children and spiritual children. One day, they'll be speaking with the enemies in the gate. They'll make influence in the lives of others. I'm telling you, friend, that is a beautiful passage of Scripture, and I hope you'll think about it. Anticipation, it gives us the goal of God, and that is that we'll influence others who will influence others for the cause of Christ.